You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, hope you're having a great day. Welcome back to The Devoted Podcast as we continue along in the beautiful design series. So just to kind of give you a little bit of a recap, if I, hopefully you will go back and uh, do these in order. Uh, like I said, I'm not typically really a big deal about that kind of stuff. But I think this particular series is is important to kind of listen to, you know, really uh, the introduction with just kind of what our heart is behind this and and just that reflection, that reminder that, man, we we serve a good, good God who has a beautiful and perfect design for us. And it's sort of just this natural, like, let's just follow the manufacturer's instructions. He made us. So we talked about that in our introduction to this. And then we looked at how the Bible is the authority of us. You know, um, we didn't make us, right? You know, we we did not make us. So it would kind of make sense that we would look to the one who did make us and let that have the say, let that have authority. And I even use that word, right? We want to be submitted to the authority of God's word in everything. But particularly when we talk about what we're designed and what we're made to function to be, how important to look to the Bible to see what it is that that should look like. And then um, on the third one, we looked at femininity and masculinity. And wow, you know, our culture has all kinds of things to say about this. And, you know, really, they're quite blatantly going against the manufacturer and and God's guidelines. And because of that, they kind of are, are killing both of those things, killing what true and beautiful femininity should look like, what masculinity should look like. And so in that episode, we kind of looked at all of that because I, you know, in, in the process of those things being taken out, I think we're really much poorer as a culture for that. Um, we looked at what real femininity should look like and um, biblically took a look at that. And then we looked at equality, too. Boy, I hope uh, I, ho- I know that one probably <laughs> ruffled a few feathers because it is such a trendy word out there. And we're supposed to fight for equality. Right. But we looked at whether or not we should really fight for that as women or what does the Bible really say about that? So go back and listen to those if you haven't had a chance to do that. Last week, we took a little intermission from our series, and we got to hear from Pastor Brett, which is so great to always get to hear his take on things. And and I know you guys really enjoy getting to hear from him. So I really enjoyed getting to talk with him about some things that even things we're discussing here on the series. So I love doing that. But today, we're going to jump back into the deep end here in our series. And I was thinking about, you know, if if we could pick a guest for an episode, you know, a podcast, we often have guests on and different people come so we can hear their take. Well, if we could pick any guest for this one, this, you know, obviously not real feasible, but we would have Eve on this episode. Eve, the very first woman. Wouldn't it be fascinating to have Eve as your podcast guest and actually get to ask her some questions? I think there'd, there'd be, uh, that would just be a fascinating interview. What would she say to us? What would her advice be to us? So we're going to go all the way back to creation here. And, you know, if you're on your walk right now or you're folding laundry, you probably don't have your Bible right in front of you. But so as always, guys, I'm going to tell you guys the references. I'm going to put the the, uh, references in the podcast notes so that you can go back later. But the reason I, I say that one in particular for this is we're going to go to Genesis uh, 2, and then we're also going to go to Genesis 3. But I, I do think it's important to see how this lays out. And, you know, in my Bible, I have a I have a Bible that is a, it's two columns, you know, so I get to see Genesis 2 
on the left side of this this passage I'm going to read. We're going to talk about Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And then I actually see, you know, where Eve is talking about this same passage right next to it in the next column. So it's it's interesting to see where it lays out in your Bible too. Um, for you to, I'm a Bible marker. You guys know this. So it's, I like to mark this in my Bible. So I encourage you to check it out in your own Bible. Again, creation account, lots of passages like this, they, they can be so familiar to us that I think sometimes we don't slow down and, and really look at what's being said here. So I'm going to read these first, and then we're going to talk about some things that I think Eve has for us um, in this. So let's start in Genesis 2, verse 16. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so we all know what's happening here. This is the instruction of what the Lord is is as He's laying out this beautiful garden for Adam and Eve. He is telling them He's given some ground rules, right? And He says, "Here's the thing: beautiful garden. You can eat of anything you want around here, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it." And then he says the consequence too. You know, this is always always heard as parenting. Tell them the why, right? Well, God does that. He says, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this is the Lord's instructions to Adam and Eve. And it was pretty simple. He really did keep it pretty simple. But we all know what happens next. So this is where I want you to look over into Genesis 3. And I want to read from the beginning here because we I want us to get our cast of characters here. That's that's here. Because if Eve were here, she would say, well, this person was here. So, you know, we have to give the serpent here, um, let him be known. So in Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So there it is, guys, that that's that moment. We all we've heard it many times. This is the fall right there. Okay, so a couple things I want to point out just in that very first verse, as we're talking about the serpent and 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 who this guy was, or I guess it's not really a, a guy, but who this beast, what this beast was like, and it uses this word crafty to describe him, and I I, I want to point us to what this word means because this is a tactic that the enemy uses, and and so we need to know the definition of our words. But the word crafty there, it means that he was prudent, he was shrewd. It can even pertain to wisdom, even right, as how that they he in the way in which he did this. Uh, it also is showing capacity for understanding, but pertaining to being tricky and cunning. That's what we're looking at. So it describes a serpent like that. He was tricky. He was shrewd. He knew what Eve's weakness would be. I think this is interesting as as it. As we look through the story and and how he went about with his temptation that he put before her, 
Now, this idea of craftiness, we can't, I think we need to keep this in our mind as just an overall tactic that the enemy will use. The, this is the first time that you see this word used in scripture. The last time you see it used is in Ephesians 4.14, when it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Interesting how you see that word there, that it's also in connection with that we can, it can carry us about with human cunning and wind of doctrine. We can just kind of be tossed around and kind of believe anything. And it's done in such a way, it says, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Well, this the deceitful schemes, the shrewdness of the serpent in the story, no doubt is absolutely at work in this. So another thing I want to point out as we read through this, we, you know, we, he's shrewd. The serpent is shrewd. And by that, I think we need to hear that he knows what's going to get at Eve. Like he knows the temptation that is going to entice her. And I think absolutely the same thing could be said of us today. And he employs some really tricky tactics here. He sows some seeds of doubt. So when you get to when he, the very first part of in chapter three, he says, did God actually say? So this is the first thing that I think the enemy tries to do when he is uh, trying to get you to question something about God's word. He just says it right there. Did God really say that? Did God actually say that? What what happens with that seemingly oh so innocent question, right? It, he's sowing seeds of doubt, you know, and and he he's trying to just just put just a little bit of a question in your mind of, hmm, did you hear that right? Are you sure? that that's what God says. Now, what's interesting to me is what happens with Eve here and, and what her response is. Because as you read on and she says, um, when he says, this is what God said, God said, you shall not eat it of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then she says, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, this is why I was saying you might want to look at this actually in your Bible sometimes so you can look. Because if you go back to chapter two, where it actually gives God's instructions. It just says, but it says actually, so this was God's instructions in verse 17. He says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. From the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Okay. That's what he says. So she got the first part, right? She got the first part that says, God says, we shall not eat it. And then she says, neither shall you touch it. Did God say anything about touching it? Yeah, he actually didn't. Now, probably as a principle, You'd probably just want to stay as far away from something that's going to trip you up. And, you know, if, if God says you should not eat something because you will you will surely die, I would probably stay away from that thing. But she even adds this this verbiage to what she tells um, tells the serpent. So she misquotes God just a little bit. She actually adds to some things that he says. So. Satan is actually kind of familiar with this whole tactic here. Do you remember in Matthew four, five, um, four, verse five, he says, and this is when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. And yeah. when he is, one of the temptations that he puts at Jesus, he says in verse five, he says, the devil took him up to the holy city, it says in Matthew, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Okay. And so he, this is the, for it is written. This is where he's going to quote God is what he's saying. He will command his angels concerning you. And another quote, on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written. So Jesus also responds with God's word. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is an interesting example of when Satan tries to throw God's word back 
back at us. Just just like he he did this with Jesus, he did this with Eve, questioning, you know, what is really written there? And then he'll even use God's word to say what it, what he is trying to accomplish. So in this particular example in Matthew, when he is telling, you know, didn't, you know, you know, it's true. He will command his angels concerning you. And then he quotes another scripture. Now, the scripture he's quoting there actually is Psalm 91, 11 and 12. And and for the most part, he's getting it, but he's tweaking the meaning. Right. And this this is a tactic that he takes. He, he tweaks the meaning here to uh, make it sound like, you know, Jesus could just throw himself down. Now, the con- what the psalmist is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying through the psalmist in Psalm 91 is not that we can just be cavalier and, and do whatever we want and we're just invincible. No, Satan is actually twisting the meaning. And we know that he's twisting the meaning because Jesus corrects him also with scripture. And, and that's when he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, which that is Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. I think this is a great reminder for us for the full counsel of scripture and, you know, not plucking a scripture out of its contextual meaning. And, and I think Jesus very tactfully does that with God's word, you know, saying you are not to put the Lord your God to the test. Now, side note, this this idea of kind of taking things out of context and slapping some meaning, some application on us. This is a tempting thing. As something that I think happens a lot, maybe even very well intentioned. I've talked about this one I think before on the on the podcast too. But you know, Philippians four thirteen. That's the wonderful verse in Philippians that says, "I can do all things through Him who strengthens me." And we we love to slap that that verse on something that is like you know encouragement. You can do this, and you know that people write it on their basketball shoes, and you know all of this kind of thing. Like it that like as if that's what it's saying. But this is why it's so important to look at the context of a verse, because there in Philippians, he's actually talking about enduring trials and being content, even in his particular situation when he's in prison. So it's not necessarily that uh, that the context that we want to put on it. Again, they can be well-intentioned, but I think we need to be careful about the context in which we take a little verse out. Well, Satan does that absolutely in in Matthew when he in the temptation of Jesus and Jesus corrects him and says you are not to put the Lord your God to the test. But this tweaking of scripture he does the same thing in Genesis because he says as you keep reading he says you will not surely die. Okay? So that's what that's what his response. Eve says we are not to eat of the tree um or else we'll die. We're not even to touch it, which remember that was kind of added. And he says oh you will not surely die. Now what's the the tweaking here a little bit is kind of there's a little shred of truth there, isn't there? Because as we know that as we read the rest of the Genesis account, we know that Adam and Eve do not just drop dead. They they don't take a bite of that fruit off the tree and instantly fall dead. But we do know, because we've read the rest of the Genesis account and we're living proof of it, that the dying process would begin. And they would, in fact, eventually die. And that wasn't that was not a reality before. But he he tweaks this into say, oh, you will not surely die, which, again, there's a little bit of a half truth there. And wow, this is such a popular tactic of so many really good feel good slogans and different things that you will hear. There will be a shred of truth in them. But you have to be so discerning because it's often the enemy just tweaking things ever so slightly. So Satan tells 
Eve, that you will not surely die. And then he goes on in verse five and he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is where he really throws the big temptation down. For God knows that you will, your eyes will be opened. You're going to, you're going to know good and evil. Man, this is good. This is enlightenment. This is understanding. He is, he's, he, this is where he really throws the gauntlet down on, on the big temptation. Now, again, you're going to notice there's a little bit of a shred of truth to this, isn't there? Because would she now know good and evil? And the answer is yes, she would know good and evil. Like now her eyes would be opened and they would be open to seeing her nakedness and they they would have shame over that and they would try to cover it up and you know how the story goes on in Genesis but then then what he says next he says and that you will be like God would they be like God yeah that's that's where the serpent just oversells this just a bit remember though the shrewdness that we talked about the the craftiness satan the serpent here knows his audience And here's what I mean by this. So, you know, why didn't the serpent approach Adam? Why? You know, I, I, you have to think about this just a little bit. Why, why was Eve the target here for this temptation? You know, if it had been the fruit, you know, that we're discussing here and maybe he could have, you know, tempted Adam with the fruit that it was like, you know, the most amazing tasting fruit in the entire garden. And maybe, that would have tempted Adam. I do have boys and food is a really big deal, but I don't know. I, I kind of think even that, I don't think it would have had enough of the staying effect that Satan was looking for. And and I don't know that he would have disobeyed God. And I wonder if the serpent knew that. But for Eve, now this this was a good target for him because he knew that that there are things about her design and the way she's wired that, ooh, this enlightenment idea I will know and understand things like God, like that would be actually intriguing to her. This would be an exciting thing for her. Not tempting to the gals, but for the serpent, like I said, he knows this. He knows us. He knows his audience here. And I think that's why he went for Eve with this. You know, do you ever wonder why personality quizzes and Enneagram numbers and things like that just suck us in as women? I mean, they totally do. And um, I'm not going to go off on the Enneagram tangent. There's some really good sources out there to look into it because I actually think it's not a a road you want to go down at all. It has a very dark, dark story about how it all got started. But my my point is, is that those the idea of those things that you can that you can know yourself better, that you can understand things. We like this idea. We like to know what the underlying reason for something is, you know, kind of like the backstory. Why? Why does this work the way it does? Why is, you know, this personality, why do they react this way with that type of personality and that kind of thing? And the Enneagram can be particularly, I think, um, seductive because it kind of adds that spiritual slant on it. You know, it, it kind of adds in there that, you know, if you understand who you are better and you know your number, then you'll be able to, you know, walk out your relationship with God better in a, in a different way and all that kind of stuff. So it definitely throws in that spiritual aspect to it, which is totally what the serpent does here, too. He says to her, you know, you will be like God. That was the spiritual slant that he kind of gave to Eve in this temptation. 
But I get this. We are intrigued by things that we want to know and, you know, understand better. I was an English major and my favorite classes were my uh, literary criticism classes and and some of the others where we explored different types and metaphors and, you know, allegory and imagery and, you know, different things that depict ideas differently within literature. I love that stuff. I, I mean, you can ask my husband and kids, I can analyze the daylights out of something. I mean, it, man, songs, poetry, movies, it, it's a little hard if they watch a movie with me, because if it's a well done movie, it'll have it'll have some, you know, some foreshadowing. It'll have some elements to it that are, you know, you can kind of catch an idea of it earlier. I love that stuff. I remember watching Schindler's List, obviously a really hard movie, but that movie played so much with uh, black and white and color and, you know, kind of portraying those things as evil and life. And it was just fascinating how they portrayed that. I, I love that stuff. I can totally get into that. And I, I like to understand those things. We like to have an understanding beyond just what seems to play out on the surface. That's kind of how we're wired to be. And I'm not trying to paint all this as bad as far as is is being able to do that and being able to analyze things and and see things underneath the surface. Again, I think these are sensitivities and and gifts and different things that we can use for his glory and our own uniqueness in being women. There's there's just things that sometimes we will just spot that the men in our lives just won't. And that's okay. That's just how the Lord wired us to be and that's a great thing. But also know that that interest in that kind of stuff, it can also, the enemy can know how to exploit that and he can know how to use that against us. Eve wanted to know more. She's thinking, my eyes will be opened. So then here's another just real basic question then, because maybe it would, you might ask, well, what's wrong with knowing more? What's wrong with knowing more? I think actually, can't you kind of hear the serpent phrase it like that? You know, like saying, what's the harm in knowing more? It's great have greater understanding. Where's the, where's the harm in this? And I think we can hear the craftiness that could be in there in, in that statement. The enemy knows his audience and he knows what's going to trip us up. He knew what was going to trip Eve up and that's why he went for her on this one. So I think we need to pay attention to that. If Eve were in my podcast closet with me right now and we could ask her, you know, if you had a coulda, woulda, shoulda moment what would you have done differently? When the serpent came to you with this temptation that was intriguing to you, what would you have done differently? I'm willing to bet that she would have asked Adam before taking that bite. I'm willing to bet she might have thought, you know, it probably wouldn't have been a good idea if I had just run this by Adam before I kind of made this decision. Now, what's your reaction? And be honest with yourself here. What's your reaction when I say that? that Eve probably should have run something by Adam. You know, some of you are going to get defensive about that. You know, you'll you hear these these voices of you don't need a guy to help you. You can make decisions on your own. You're independent. Now, pause on that because I there's there's things in there that that's the world has been throwing all kinds of junk like that at us for the last 50 years. You know, there's a whole lot of I don't need anyone, certainly not a man. You know, I'll think for myself, all the independence things and all those things. You get the idea. But hang with me on this before you get completely, you know, totally offended, because I love the compliment that men and women are 
And and remember, this is what this whole series is about, is looking at this beautiful design that we are, of who we are designed to be. And both are needed. You know, it's it's not just men have got this all figured out. And it's not that women just have this figured out. It It's both. Remember, God is the one that said it was not good that man should dwell alone. And, that, and then he created woman. So it's just nonsense that this is some, you know, sexist, misogynistic idea that Eve should have run the serpent's big idea past him because God saw that Adam was going to need Eve, that there'd be two. We would need it. When we jump into women's roles in the church that we're going to look at in 1 Timothy, we're going to look at this this passage I'm about to read again, but I, I want to read part of it because I think this is important. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 14, Paul points out and he says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay, so I'm going to highlight that part right there. It says, Adam was not deceived. Eve was. She was tricked. She was. Now, nobody wants to hear that. I, I I get it. If you're a gal hearing that and you're going, what what are you saying? I'm gullible. I'm I'm you know I'm just gonna fall for anything. Okay, again, try not to get defensive and try to just hear what Scripture is saying because this is just this is a narrative here we have in Genesis of what happened, and he is just and then Paul is calling it out here in Timothy saying, I'm just pointing it out here. This is not this is not commentary, nothing like that. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. No, nobody likes to admit that they have had been tricked or had the wool pulled over their eyes or anything like that. I get this. I totally get it. I'm going to give you a silly example. And you can go, wow, Aim, you really are a blonde, aren't you? Well, maybe I I really own that. But here's the thing. I, I think that the Lord gave me this as a very practical object lesson for me. I, I there was, this is several years back. I was at a Trader Joe's and I'm trying to think. I don't think I was with my kids. I think it was just me. So um, I, I'm, I'd already been in the store. I come out to the store, out from the store, and I'm, I'm just about to load up my groceries. Now, a while back, uh, my van, I had hit, I think I had hit a fence post or something. I, I'm really not a great driver, so it's actually hard for me to remember which thing I hit at that time. But I know that I had this dent in the back of my awesome, you know, van that I loved. I had this Honda Odyssey. It was great. and But I had a little bit of a, you know, just a little bit of a character dent in the back that I had never fixed. And it was just there. So I'm coming out of the store. I'm about to load my groceries up. And this guy comes up to me. And he proceeds to tell me that he actually works for the dealership that I had gotten my car, which I later kind of put two and two together, realizing he could see that on my license plate, you know, the, where the dealership was. And he said, you know, I, I'm not working today, but I was just, you know, driving by and I, you know, I was just in the store and I came by your van and I, I see that you have this vent dent in the back. I could get this out in like 10 minutes for you if you'd like. Um, and, you know, I, I can't remember what he said it was. I think he said for 50 bucks, I'll just, you know, pop this dent out for you. And here, oh guys, I wish you could know what was going on in my my brain. You probably don't want to know. But part of me was sitting here going, oh, that dent has always bugged Chris. And this would be great if it was just gone. And it was going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars if I, you know, took it into the body shop and that kind of stuff. So maybe this this would just be a great thing. So before I even really think through this very much of the oddity of this entire scenario that a man is approaching me in a Trader Joe's parking lot to fix the dent in my van... I'm like, okay, sure, go for it. So I get in the car and I'm not kidding. I seriously sit in the front seat, uh, you know, sitting behind the wheel. And I, the thought in my brain is going, 
oh, this is a bad idea. I shouldn't have done this. But then you 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 have these battles with yourself going, oh, but I already told him yes, and I don't want to, and he's already working on it, and this is awkward. And and uh, so I end up letting the guy, he finishes. Yes, I know. You guys are going to think I am so dumb. I get it. Um, I wrote the guy a check. He goes along his merry way. I look at the den. He did tell me to come out and look at the work that he had done. And there was like this white cream all over it. And um, he said, you know, it was really cold out that day. He's like, it's it's cold right now. When you get home, just wipe this off and you'll be good to go. So I couldn't see really the work that he had done. I just kind of saw this white film. So I pay the guy. I drive away. <laughs> and I'm realize, I, I mean, I have this feeling like I, I think this was a bad idea, you know. So I um, I actually ended up calling the dealership saying, hey, do you have a guy that's employed there by this name? And they're like, no, nope, never heard of that guy. So then I get to do the oh, so, you know, exciting call that I'm really looking forward to of of calling my husband, Chris, and saying, so, hun, here's what I did. So I actually, I think I waited till I got home because I did get home. I get in the garage because he had told me I needed to wait till I get home and, it, and it's warmer. Guys, I feel so dumb even telling you this story. But I came home, I wiped it off. And of course, not only was, well, the dent was sort of gone, but not really. But now I had these like holes in my van that it literally looks like bullet holes. So I had traded what looked like just a, you know, a character dent to a, looked like I, you know, hightailed it out of a, a, a gang area in downtown. So yes, I owned that van for many more years after that. And it always had what looked like bullet holes in the back. But that was just, just, just a humble reminder for me. But I, I tell you this embarrassing story about myself because here's the thing. If before I had told that guy that I would do anything, if I had called Chris and pretty much taken 30 seconds of his time at work and said, here's the deal, how long do you think it would have taken for him to say, Amy, no, hun, the, he, he can't pull the dent out in the parking lot of Trader Joe's. That is not going to work. You need to drive away. OK, that would not have taken very long. And I guarantee you, uh, Chris, to this day, laughs about this because, I mean, no, no one's going to buy that. But clearly I did. Here's the thing. There, there is this, I don't know what it was at the time. Is it that I see this guy that I, you know, is it the relational piece in us sometimes that falls for this stuff? Is it, you know, what is it? I don't know. But the, the point is, is that we can be tricked. Now, of course, I'm making like total generalizations, right? In, in some ways, for sure. Is every woman going to fall for the Trader Joe's guy? No, totally not. Um, it, could some men fall for that? Yes, they totally could. So yes, I am speaking in some generalizations. However, I do think that our nature, our um, just the way we're wired sometimes is more susceptible to be, de de be deceived. Now, in Eve's case, it's not even so much that, yes, she was she was susceptible to being tricked, but it was even that she was susceptible to being tricked with um, a, something spiritual, this, this more awareness, this more knowledge, this more enlightenment. That's caution to us. I think Eve, if she was sitting here in the closet, she would give us a little bit of some advice about being careful about not being aware of your own weaknesses. We can be tricked. I love this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. She said about the story with Eve, she says, it was in fact the woman Eve who saw the opportunity to be something other than she was meant to be. She could easily be like God 
And she took the initiative. That was the what the enemy told her. And her quote continues. She says, we have no way of knowing whether a consultation with her husband first might have led to an entirely different conclusion. What if Eve had answered, let me not be like God. Let me be what I was made to be. Let me be a woman. Huh. All of Elizabeth's writing often is very hard hitting like that. But it's an interesting thought to think through. I think so often we hear the story of thinking that we should, if there there's something like this, that maybe we have a weakness or we could possibly have a proclivity to be deceived by something. And we're so quick to be defensive about that idea and not run it past our husbands. Or if you're not married, a man in your life, a godly man that you can look to for counsel and sound, sound advice and good biblical wisdom. We can get so defensive about just not wanting to do that, that we don't even want to kind of hear the rest. So, but it, it's an interesting thing. What if Eve had answered and said, let me not be like God? What if when 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 the serpent had tempted her with that and said, oh, your eyes will be open, you'll be enlightened. And she had just said, I don't want to be like God. I want to be a woman. I want to be who God made me to be. It's funny how we can be about this. You know, I, I have no problem acknowledging you know, I, I have a friend that is just a brilliant artist and she has an amazing eye for photography and is just so, so talented. And I have no problem, you know, going to her and asking for her take on something, knowing that, my goodness, you truly do not want me to do any of the things that she she can do. I mean, it's I would be a far more deficient choice if you actually wanted photography done or something artistic. But sometimes women, we kind of act like we're good at everything. And we don't need anyone's advice for anything. You know, we it goes back to that that uh, independence thing and the uh, kind of really the junk that the world's been telling us for the last 50 years about, you know, you don't need a man in your life. You're independent. You can do all of these things. And, you know, that that, that is the empowerment that we really need. And it, it leaves us in a place where we can kind of fall into this area of thinking that, yeah, I got this. I I, I got this. Now, if it's inter isn't that funny though? Because I know I'm not artistic, so I have no problem saying to my, you know, friend that, oh, what do you think about this? And you know, you're you're more skilled in this. And what do you do? But then, probably when it came to when me saying that maybe Eve should have run it by Adam, or maybe if there is a big decision that you're thinking about, you should run it by a godly man that you trust and that will you know will give you good counsel. You know, you might have internally gone, ooh, I don't. I don't need to do that. Why why do I need to do that? Take take that captive because really these are a little bit of the enemy's devices and scripture tells us we are not to be ignorant of his designs. 2 Corinthians 2:11 says so that you would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. So that's one of the things that that scripture tells us to not be ignorant of, ignorant of. And we can learn a lot from this example back in Genesis of how the serpent employed his own devices on Eve in a way that she was susceptible, that she had a, a weakness and a proclivity to something that was really going to trip her up. When it comes to getting a man's take on something, I think sometimes that 50 years of garbage that we've been hearing from the world puts all these thoughts in our brain. You know, it tells us, you know, he'll think I'm not capable if, you know, if I ask him or he'll walk all over me, you know, or you know, I don't know. I just I wonder how often that those thoughts that we think those things, I wonder how often they're actually true and how often that would just be one of the crafty serpent designs upon us, whispering a little bit of a lie to keep us from doing the thing that we should. 
And this isn't actually, like I said, this isn't just for married women. Recognizing your design and who you were called to be is so not something that is only realized in marriage. So important for us to for us to get that. You know, like I said, read Elizabeth Ellie on this. Who who are the godly men in your life? Or maybe it's a pastor or maybe it's, a, you know, someone at the church that you can look to. Maybe it's a father. You know, if you're even if you're grown and out of the house, do you have a father or a brother or a godly man that you can ask things of and you can you can run some things past him? It's not it's not saying that, you know, I'm stupid or I can't do. No, 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 no. This is seriously going back to design. This is going all the way back to Genesis and recognizing that there were two genders, male and female, that complement one one another in their roles that they play. I like to always keep in the forefront of our mind the reminder of the days that we're living in right now. Second Timothy three, one through seven, a little bit long, but hang with me here. Second Timothy three, one through seven says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. I love this passage, but that's quite a list, right? You know, the first part of that verse is not just speaking to women, clearly. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And when we say that we're in the last days, sometimes you're like, well, are we in the last days? Well, go through that list and see if you recognize any of those features. (laughs) Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. I mean, that's a list that we probably could give several examples for each of those just out of today's news. But even though those first parts aren't necessarily all just speaking just to women, I do kind of want to challenge us to put us in that verse. Do you see women that are being lovers of self or lovers of money or proud or ungrateful or unholy or heartless or slanderous? I mean, don't forget, it's easy to sometimes take those passages and go, oh, well, that's not me. Thank goodness I'm not like that. But I, I, I do hope that we approach scripture with a um, just a humility of, Lord, search my heart. And is there any wicked way in me? You know, is there any is there anything in here that res- I resemble any of these things? But that last part is really narrowing in specifically on women, isn't it? It says, you know, those folks that are caught up in the list in verses one through five that we read, it says they creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Oh, so much to unpack right there. But the, the first part, I I don't want us to be women that would be identified as weak women. What makes us vulnerable in this? You know, what is it that we are can be identified as weak women? And I, I think if we could just put one thing that would that would definitely weaken us and make us really vulnerable, it would be if we aren't reading our Bibles, if we're not women of the word that really seek to align ourselves with what scripture says, knowing what God thinks of us, knowing how we are designed and how we're created to be. That makes us actually vulnerable. That makes us weak. But it also says that women that are burdened with sins and led astray by passions, 
that piece of that verse is really heartbreaking. And I and I know that this is it, it scripture is timeless, right? This is this is just as true in Paul's words to Timothy back in the early church as it is for us today. We have women that are burdened with sins and led astray by passions. First the burdened with sins thing, you know, how often do we sit just in our own sin and just feel burdened by it? And and the different circumstances that we have that tell us that, oh, we're no good. If people only knew the things I've done, they, they, I'm way too far gone. Burdened with sins. This is heartbreaking. But the gospel has a message for that, doesn't it? For sure. I mean, there, there is no sin that, that the Lord did not die for. And we, we are able to come to him and repent of our sins and these passions that we can be led astray by. And we can lay those at Jesus's feet and the cross covers that. And we don't have to be burdened with sin. So I, 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 it's a heartbreaking part of that verse. And at the same time, there's a beautiful response to that with the gospel. And then the last part, he says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Again, there's so much in this little, little piece of that verse there, because always learning. I, I am a learner, so I very much, I, I see this. Um, and it, just in my own desires, man, I, I love to learn things about World War II history. And I am a total archaeology nerd. I just love to learn stuff. I love to learn stuff about the Bible and all of these things. Learning's not a bad thing. However, there can be this learning and constantly acquiring knowledge. But then what does this verse says? It says, but, but never arriving at the knowledge of the truth. This is a this is a thing that we have to watch out for today because there's a lot of things, particularly I th- I see it in the progressive church where you need to learn more, you need to uh, you know do the work and discover and keep learning and keep growing and I don't know if they say growing but they say keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. But if that learning is not bringing you back to God's word, to the truth that God gives us in His word that's we don't want to be anywhere near that that's going to take us to being that those weak women that are just burdened and led astray but also with this learning and never right, arriving at the truth i think it ta- takes us back to that crafty little ta- tactic that the serpent used in Gen- genesis when he says did god really say i hear this sometimes with um people that are they kind of sound super academic and you know wanting to make scripture sound harder than it is or or, or whatever but They'll say, well, we, we just can't really know what was meant there in scripture. We can't, we can't really know what these authors really wrote. We can't really know we weren't there. That phrase kind of drives me a little bit insane because, yes, there are things that we take on faith. Absolutely. Faith is crucial to our walk. But there's also things that when it's written in, written in our Bibles, we can trust scripture and we can know we can know what God really did say. I think sometimes that little phrase of, well, we just can't, we don't really know what happened here. We weren't really there at creation. We can't really know. I think that's the enemy, the serpent saying, well, did God really say? Did God really say? Just kind of watch out for that because I I really do think that that is probably um, a tactic that's deployed on us more times than we probably even notice. Taking a close look at Eve and how it all began is really important to understanding our design, and it helps us as we further look into the New Testament and some of the specific instructions that we're going to see for marriage and the church, which we're going to cover over the next few weeks. So go back to the notes of this podcast and and look at these scriptures. 
uh, do yourself a favor and be real with the Lord on where you are at. You know, did you get defensive hearing some of this? Confess that. Remember our introduction to the series. He is a good and caring God that perfectly created us according to his design. He designed you. He designed me to fully live and, you know, thrive according to that perfect plan. He's going to, he will hear our struggles in this. He forgives us when we have failings. He, he knows all of that. He forgives us for our sins. And that burden for us, like Second Timothy, like Second Timothy said that we can have on us, he wants to take that. And so there's just such a kindness in how he deals with us. So don't forget that. But really be honest and where correction and confession and repentance needs to be there, then take that to the Lord. It's 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 a kind face that is greeting you. It is um, a a righteous, loving, good God that takes that from us. I know some of this isn't popular, or you're probably thinking, "Aim." Hey, a lot of this isn't popular, but I really pray that God's word will have its way with us. That we'll just really take our honest confession to the Lord and and go back to what he said we were designed to be and just unapologetically and just with open arms really take in what he says for us and and being aware and wary of the enemy and his devices and how he kind of wants to pick us off as women and take us away from what that design should look like. So I know some of this is a lot, um, but this is God's word and I and it's it's not the feel good fluff, but I don't think that's what we need. So hang in there with us. Next week, we're going to look at uh, roles in the home and submission. And, you know, I do think that message, too, that's for this. That one's primarily going to be for married women. But singles don't check out on that because you may be married someday. And I do think there is a larger thing that is being said within that example, even throughout scripture that is just really important for us to get. So um, we'll catch you next week and uh, we'll just keep plugging along in the beautiful design series. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.